0: Hello guys, hope you're enjoying the summer. It's Ali from Not The Top 20 podcast here and thanks for tuning in to this summer podcast. We've certainly been enjoying the summer. Four years ago, George and I were both in Brazil. Uh, I saw England lose to Uruguay and draw 0-0 with Costa Rica while George himself famously flew out for that Costa Rica game with England already having failed to qualify for the knockout stages. George headed out there to Russia and was much happier, saw... Two England wins and what a fantastic experience that's been for him that we'll hear about when we next get together. As for the EFL and its contribution to the World Cup. Well, we know that there have been plenty of players from across the championship heading out to Russia to represent their respective nations. Sam Morsey, of course. Representing Egypt. He was the only one from League One 2017 18 season to head out there. The League One Javi, we always called Sam Morsey after his incredible volume of passing and his high pass completion rate over the last season, really keeping that excellent Wigan side ticking. Uh, he played 40 minutes for Egypt in the group stages, picked up a yellow card, and completed 100% of his passes. He has been at his most, Sam Morsey over the last few weeks so well done to him there have been some very good performances uh, especially from Henrik Dalsgaard Brentford's defender he has been playing right back for Denmark and has had a String of impressive performances. He will lead us into the knockout stages. We'll be keeping a close eye on King Henrik. Uh, Jonas Knudsen is also in the Denmark squad but hasn't played any minutes yet. So we'll move on to Big Mile Jedanak, the only EFL goalscorer so far. He's done well from the spot for Australia but is also heading home early. We very much enjoyed a a brave performance from Pontus Jansson in Sweden's first game. He came in in, on short notice and, and replaced Lindelof, who was ill for that game. Jansson and Sweden topping the group and heading into the round of 16 as well. Remains to be seen if we'll get him back on the pitch at any point. But regardless, a good contribution. And in other EFL news, well, who's impressed us? It's been Etebo. Stoke City's new signing has been fantastic for Nigeria, really, really wetting the appetite for hopefully some dazzling performances in the championship next season. He looks like a fantastic player and we're very very excited to see him uh, that's all really I think we can say about EFL contributions to the World Cup not as many as we would have hoped not as many headlines anyway rather but we've been enjoying it we hope you have too of course you've got Jack Butland as well playing for England and Jordan Shakiri uh, of Switzerland they are uh, both Stoke City players as we talk now and heading into the round of 16 and beyond uh, but of course we don't expect either of those to grace the championship next season, although we live in hope. I sat down with Kieran Maguire. Kieran runs a blog called Price of Football, uh, but also generally is the expert on football finance. He lectures at the University of Liverpool on that very topic, and I thought it would be important, given how much the financials form part of EFL discourse these days, uh, to learn a bit more about some of the things that we talk about, some of the things that affect our analysis and affect the game and the EFL in general Kieran was kind enough to answer some of the questions that you sent through on Twitter and the basic topics are uh, FFP does it work, what purpose does it serve, parachute payments why do some clubs or owners lack transparency with their finances and is the gap between League One and the Championship widening to a worrying degree among many other things we talk about various clubs as well, Derby Aston Villa etc we really hope that you enjoy this podcast we hope that you get something from it I certainly learned a lot from sitting down with Kieran for an hour Uh, if you do enjoy it please do get in touch on twitter at ntt20pod please review us positively on iTunes please share the podcast on social media and make sure you're subscribed because we love our season preview content and we think that you will too plenty to come in the next month or so Kieran, thank you very much for joining us. Our first Not The Top 20 podcast of the summer, in fact. Um, The topic of football finance is even zeroing in on the EFL, it's still incredibly broad, very diverse between the three divisions. So we're going to try and get through as much as we can and really mine your your extensive uh, knowledge. Topics like FFP have become very much part of our conversation surrounding uh, all types of of football across the EFL. And I think that we could all do with some clarification uh, in certain aspects of it. So really, in terms of the blog, you are delving into the, the financial results published by clubs. Um, and, uh, and generally those are published uh, towards the end of the season. Uh, although I know that some clubs will take their time. Some clubs uh, are very much transparent uh, and leave everything on the table for you to delve into. And some clubs slightly less so. Um, I can imagine that that can be frustrating when there are clubs that don't, um, that don't publish full results. So why should a fan of a, of, of a club such as that why should that matter to them? Why do you think it's important and, uh, that, that clubs are transparent with their finances? Well, what clubs are able to
1: do is, is under UK company law, that if they're below a certain size, they don't have to show profit and loss items. So they don't have to show the money that the club generates. They don't have to show the wage bill. They don't have to show how much the directors have paid themselves and things of that nature. But as a football fan, I invest my body, soul, heart in my club mm-hmm. and all fans do the same now if you're about if you're if you are being asked to renew your season ticket if you're in rochdale and you're having to travel to south end on a tuesday night then i think you're entitled to something back from the club mm. and the the bare minimum is to see this is how much money the club has generated from you from other fans from our commercial sponsors this is how much we get from the tv companies and this is how we've spent it and it's just a case of of doing what's morally right Uh, you might not be a legal investor but you will be there um, at the start of the season at the end of the season
0: and next season as well why why do why do you think uh, some clubs would would attempt to not cover up stuff but uh, we'll come back to the phrase lack of transparency why do you think certain clubs would do that in the first place I, I, well it, it's
1: not it's the clubs ultimately you're talking about the owners of the clubs um and some of them look down on the fans some of them don't want the fans to know what what they're up to so there could be um untoward reasons some of them would argue that by giving such information out that they're, they're giving their other clubs uh, commercially sensitive information But if if Cheltenham, for example, can give a full detail of every type of expense they've had, how much they've spent on pies, how much they've spent on paying the programme sellers, how much they've spent on rent and so on, then I think other clubs can show a a decent level of exposure.
0: Generally on the blog uh, you provide these fantastic case studies um, of of certain clubs and really Digging into the finances What they mean uh, Both looking back And looking forward And I must admit Having spent a lot of Well a few hours this afternoon Going through um, Various different clubs uh, Blog posts uh, Where you've you've had a look at Blackburn, Derby, Leeds Aston Villa Morecambe um, A real spread of clubs The three divisions are very varied so so we're going to try and, and zone in on on each one but just a, a couple of general questions dave stevens has asked on twitter um just just to start with hopefully quite a basic question what are the most critical items in a in a club's published accounts that you would sort of look at to gauge financial health um to to look forward and also to look back at the year just past what are the one of the major parts of the results that you would look into if you want to survive in business, you
1: need cash. So I'd actually focus on, does the club have debt? When does it have to repay that debt? Does it have the cash resources to pay that debt? If you can't pay your debts, you're going to go bust. So, Or you're going to have to sell off the family jewels. So if, if we if we look at the case of Villa, Villa spent an absolute fortune in, in 2016, 17, you know, eight, 80 odd million pounds on new players. They gambled on trying to get up they're now left with with uh, after the party comes the hangover in terms of spending. So I, I think debt maintenance is one, one really important thing. Um, the other thing is, if, if you take a look at the main costs of a club, what are they going to be? They're player-related, and, and there's, there's two types of player cost – there is the player wage and, and there's the, the, the way that we deal with the player transfers mm-hmm. um, and monitoring those I, I think is, is pretty important uh, and I guess the next thing would be the, the relationship that the club has with the owners are the owners putting money into the club or more alarmingly are the, the owners taking money out of the club mm.
0: a lot of football clubs debt is almost entirely synonymous with the owner of the club um, by which I mean a club might have £100 million worth of debt, uh, which the owner is very happy to, to, to be responsible for and showing no signs of, of, of changing their mind. But there might be, a, and, and therefore that club generally will, will be okay um, for the foreseeable. There might be a club with £10 million worth of debt, whose owner might be a little bit more flaky perhaps or, or look, looking for a way out is Is that fair to say? So when you talk about debt for a club, it's not always just the numbers that matter, but rather who's who's behind the numbers. Would that be a fair thing to say? That's right. if If the owner is a fan first and
1: foremost, then the last thing that he would want to do is to see that club go under. So you've got to look at the motives for for the investment. Uh, so if you take a look at what's happened, clubs like Brentford, Huddersfield Brighton who've come from the come from the football league with owners who are, who are local lads who are fans you've got Steve Gibson at Borough they're pretty safe in, in those particular regards because they lend money they never ask for the money back and they don't charge any interest so therefore you've not got the money going out if you've got a club who's borrowing money from the bank then you've got a problem because the bank manager will have set a limit as to a how much you can borrow whereas the owner if we've had a bad year, I'll stick another five million in. Yeah, that will be the attitude of, of the owner. Bank managers don't think like that, and the bank managers are also looking to get the interest on the bank. What we are finding, is, especially with uh, the clubs in League One and League Two, is actually banks don't want to know about football clubs. They're seen as too high a risk um, in, in the present economic environment. So, therefore, you are relying on owners. Um, the owners might say, I'm not a wealthy individual. I don't mind chipping in a little amount each year. Um, but in recent years, we have had the rise of the speculator owner. And you look to see what's happened to Portsmouth. You look to, happen to, see, look to see what's happened with Leeds United, where there has been a pass-the-parcel approach, a variety of owners. And that's, that's dangerous for the club because you might end up with a person who's trying to get rid of the club, who can't do so, doesn't have the resources to put more money in or doesn't have the willingness to put more money in, and that's going to create a danger of administration.
0: How would you explain
1: that phrase, speculator? It's, it's an individual who believes that they can flip the club at a profit. Um, now, they, they can do that in, in one of two ways. They can either buy it because somebody is presently desperate to sell it, and they think that they know somebody else who might want to take over, or they think that, especially clubs in the championship, and I think the championship is, is the most intriguing mm. division, um, three clubs are going to be promoted. So if, if, if you if you were an investor, um, you've got a potential lottery prize of £170 million. Pounds. Now, if you or I are buying a normal lottery ticket, we pay our £2 pounds a week. We don't expect to win. We're not bothered because we've got a 1 in 140 million chance. In the Championship, you have a 1 in 8 chance okay. of winning £170 million. And somebody's going, to, somebody's currently offering you that ticket and you think, well, I'd be prepared to pay quite a lot of money for that ticket. So they get, they get seduced by the prospect of being in the Premier League. They buy into the club. They spend a little bit of money because they think that by buying a couple of players, they've got a mate who knows something about football They'll get into the Premier League and then they will sell the club that they've bought for 30. You can buy a club in in the championship for 20, 30, 40 million mm-hmm. and you can sell it for 200 million if you get to the Premier League. Yeah. That's the danger in the, in the championship.
0: Sometimes uh, such owners, if uh, things don't go well, uh, might find themselves peering at the FFP regulation, uh, which might sneak up on them. Uh, FFP's become a bit of a buzzword for fans it can be a a stick that fans use to beat other fans Uh, it can be a source of abuse at times and and all the while sometimes you're reading this and thinking I'm not sure everyone who is using FFP chucking the word around really understands what they're talking about necessarily so I guess that's part of of, um, why we wanted to talk to you Um, and and we should really split the divisions and start with the championship it strikes me and, and I am Biased because we focus on on the EFL, but certainly the Championship uh, appears to be, in terms of financials, uh, one of the more bizarre football divisions that there could be in 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 world football. Um, because of course you you've essentially got a few different tiers of clubs, really, don't you? Uh, can you explain? Um, I suppose to start with the the tiers of club that you'll see um, in the Championship at the moment and and why that's the case why that's become such a big part of second tier football in in England
1: well I absolutely agree with you that the championship it's a car crash of a division the total losses made are around between three and 350 million pounds a year taking the division as a whole and if you consider that you've got on average seven or eight clubs who are in receipt of parachute payments and they're still losing 350 million pounds i think that's indicative of the extent of the problem Um, in terms of the tiers it it is very much a case of um, the haves in terms of parachute payments so we've got seven or eight clubs in receipt of those then you have the nouveau riche clubs where they've had a, a recent injection from an owner. So if you take Wolverhampton Wanderers last mm-hmm. season, if you take Aston Villa under Tony Jarre, um if if you take potentially, we could have uh, Bristol City with mm-hmm. Steve Lansdowne. He's, he's just today, uh, I believe, received about 100 million taken out of his company. So he's invested quite well in the infrastructure mm-hmm. there. So you've got clubs of that nature, Sheffield Wednesday with Chancery. Of so, so we've got those clubs, and then we've got what you might refer to as The old school clubs, the likes of Preston, who effectively, locally owned, trying to break even, um, and they're trying to compete, and to to compete with the wages which are now being paid. You've only got to look at uh, 2017, Newcastle United, Mm. they've
0: had a wage bill in excess of £100 million. And Burton's, I believe, was around £7.7 million for the year, so... Um, uh, well, less than a tenth, a twelfth of of the wage bill of of the team in the same division of them. Which uh, I guess that's kind of why I consider it to be so absurd. And yet, uh, it doesn't always correlate to success either, does it? And that's that's why I suppose we should be thankful for that. It makes the division a lot more interesting to. To follow and and to cover, but um, in terms of the parachute payments, um, could you could you quickly explain, or not quickly, uh, take as long as you will, um, explain parachute payments for a team coming down from the Premier League? I think I'm right in saying West Bromwich Albion will receive about 40 41 million pounds this year through parachute payments. Same for Stoke and Swansea, of course. Why do these teams need it? Put it that way. If you're a if you're a Preston fan, why do West Brom need 41 million pounds? There's a lot of resentment by, by the likes of Preston
1: and Burton, Leeds United and Forest towards clubs in receipt of parachute payments. Without parachute payments, those clubs would go bust. It's it's as simple as that. The minimum distribution of T V monies in the Premier League is one hundred million. In the championship, it's six and a half. So if you have signed a football player and you are paying him the the average salary in the Premier League of which is around about £45,000 £50,000 a week and you've got 20 players on that that's an awful lot of money going out you simply could not afford to pay those players in the Championship now again fans will say of the of the clubs who are not in receipt of parachute payments well sell them or have relegation clauses in the contract that's fine the players will not sign for you in the first place so it's because the Premier League wants to make its product more attractive mm-hmm. and therefore, should the club be relegated, it wants to make sure that those clubs can continue to pay the players. And, and these these rules were voted by the Premier League clubs themselves because they know that three of them are not going to be in that, in that club, mm. in that little boy the following year
0: and how long after. how long do the payments last the parachute payments the parachute payments
1: last three years so they they, they are agreed as, as, a, as a as a percentage so in year one you get 55 percent in effect of the non-merit payments the pay the, the payments which are given by the premier league simply for being there so in year one, you get 55%, which works out as about 41 million. In year two, you get 45%, which is, works out about, about 33, 34 million. And in year three, you get uh, 20%. So that will drop to around about 14, 15 million. So that's the experience mm. that Aston Villa are
0: facing in 2018-19. That third season that many teams probably proudly don't expect and then sometimes can come back to bite them. What are the realities of that financially? It's it's pretty huge, and, it, and it's even worse if you are
1: promoted to the Premier League and you come down straight away because you don't get that third-year payment. Mm-hmm. So if we take a look at Borough, Borough last year got their 55% payment. This year they'll get their 45% payment. They'll get the 34 million. Mm-hmm. Next year, if they, Borough don't go up in 2018-19, mm-hmm. they're going to get nothing in terms of parachute payment. So it is, it is very
0: severe. I think Norwich are experiencing a slightly similar thing at this stage as well. They've been down now for, for two seasons, I think that's right. And this is their reality now that that, that the sale of Madison was very necessary because that, that third parachute payment just didn't come and this is a side with astronomical wage bill compared to, to the rest of the league like Aston Villa, like Middlesbrough. So it's uh, it's definitely a it's definitely an interesting thing once you start to understand the difficulties. Do you think that because that first years parachute payment I mean it's it's still an exceptional amount of money do you think some clubs do you get the feeling that they they sort of look at it and think well actually this is it's still quite a lot so although we know we will need to downsize eventually maybe for this first season we could just try and and really blitz the division and go straight back up and then we won't need to worry about that uh, do you think that's fair for me to to suggest has happened before or well, not?
1: it's a case of stick or twist very very much so are are you prepared
0: to to gamble
1: with the club's future now here we we do have a problem because it it comes down to the attitude of the individual owner are they by nature a gambling person are they a person who has bought the football club because they're a fan who happened to be rich now if, if that's the case the chances are you You are conscious of you want this this club to be a legacy for you and your family because you you intend to be watching them until the day that you die there 's other owners who have bought the club because they thought there was an opportunity to make money if, if it don 't go up this season we we'll just sell it hmm. and you 've only got to look to see the different approaches taken um, by clubs certainly in if we ta- if we if we look at uh, The club's relegated Villa, Norwich and Newcastle a couple of seasons ago. Newcastle spent the money and they went up. Villa spent just as much money and they didn't go up. Mm. And they are the club closest to the
0: abyss in that division now. I think you you touched on gambling there. And if you were to look at clubs that we would consider to have have really gone for promotion and... and you know, I don't necessarily want to discuss this always in negative terms but we will use the word gambling because it is a gamble because it can catch up with you after three years so that's the reason why I'll be using that term but a team like um, Derby and Sheffield Wednesday as well who, who, have, who have not been in receipt of parachute payments for the last two or three seasons who are some of the higher earners out of the have-nots but who have spent significant amounts on players and not received great transfer fees either. Um, These are the clubs who are entering another tricky third year who haven't had any parachute payments to to, to, to speak of anyway but who are also at risk of of an FFP sanction. Now, it might be the case that they avoid them. We know that clubs do take it very seriously and we'll be trying to avoid that at all costs. Um, What would be an FFP sanction do we know what that would look like if an Aston Villa or very hypothetically a Derby or a Sheffield Wednesday if they failed after, you know if they failed their three year review so to speak after this season do, do we have any idea what that would look like the precedents, I suppose with QPR especially have, have, have led to me being a little confused anyway right there, there, there have been
1: other precedents as well Blackburn Forest Leeds United the key thing would that they would be have to have a transfer embargo which really does constrain the club so they would they would have a transfer embargo for perhaps one window or two windows and during that period they would have to prove to the football league that they have addressed the issues which caused them to exceed the ffp limits in the first place you mentioned this issue of gambling the nature of financial fair play is that you are assessed on a rolling 3 year period so therefore if you are a risk taker as a club owner you might say, we're going to go for it for two years. And if we don't get it in two years, then year three, we're just going to we're going to write it off. Mm-hmm. So to a certain extent, we, we've seen comments coming out of Derby County from, from Mel Morris over the course of this summer. Yeah, they, they've got Frank Lampard, a you know, very high-profile potential manager for them. But he's, he's already sending out the signals. You know, it looks like they're going to have to sell Vidra. Mm-hmm. And if they are going to sell Vidra, they're going to have to do it probably by June the 30th. Because that profit from the Vedra's sale would go into okay. Derby's 2018 mm. accounts. Okay. So if I was the buying club, I would be delaying putting in my bids uh, to see if I can get him at a slightly discounted price. So there's a, there's an awful lot of game theory goes into this. There's mm. an awful lot of you know negotiation skills. Uh, but clubs have clearly gambled in the past, and I think the ones that you alluded to in, in the shape of... Derby and Wednesday and Villa are now in a weaker position, which means that clubs who have not overspent during those periods potentially can pick off some of those players. Mm. So there's there's a constant sort of evolving uh, roller coaster of of clubs who are in a stronger or a weaker position because of in the
0: three year rolling interesting a couple of just quick quick things that I, I was hoping you could explain um we talked about the parachute payments um, a lot of uh the income for championship clubs uh comes from broadcast money whether that's parachute payments for those who don't have parachute payments can you explain how much money um you you, you have nots in the championship uh will be making um from their solidarity payments from their tv deal
1: yeah, the solidarity payments is
0: an agreement between the
1: Football League and the Premier League, and again, that is set as a stated percentage of the money that the, the Premier League allocate on an even basis between their member clubs. In the case of uh, Football League clubs in the Championship, that works out as around about 4.3 million a year, and on top of that, they get around about 2.3 million as a basis from Sky for the efl tv deal and then on top of that you get money for your your matches being broadcast live so it's normally worked out as between depending on which night it is mm-hmm. between 40 and one hundred thousand for appearing if you're the home club and if you're the away club you get an extra 10 grand right. uh, if your matches are being broadcast live so that's that's the position in the championships you're looking at around about six and a half million if you are the likes of Villa or Leeds or Forest, you know, who, who tend to attract the bigger audiences, oh. you, you're going to pick up some extra money because you're going to be on the TV quite a regular basis. So the way that the, um, the money is allocated in, in the Football League is that effectively 80% of the monies go to the Championship, 12% go to League One, and 8% go to League Two. Mm-hmm. So if you are a club in League Two, you're probably picking up around about 400, 500 grand from TV monies, about seven or 800 grand in, in League One. So that has actually created, and you know, we know that there's a big divide between the Premier League and the Championship, but we now have a huge divide between the Championship and League One. Mm-hmm. And because of that, that's why there was, there was no surprise to me That the three clubs who were promoted From League One this year Were Wigan, Blackburn and Rotherham Who were relegated the previous season But because
0: they were relegated From the Championship They'd actually had decent amounts of money mm. Coming down with them it, Would that be a worry for you As a, as a, as a League One fan As a, a, a fan of a League One club I should say You know Sunderland are coming down With a £35 million head start So I mean there's really no excuse for them not to be promoted, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think if you're in League One, all the managers,
1: all the owners are accepting that you are chasing two promotion places. You set, who, who finishes second after Sunderland and who goes up via the playoffs? Um, so there, there, there is this gap appearing. It is creating a bit of a yo-yo effect because Burton have come down but that last year, they still earned good money mm-hmm. from the Championship. So therefore, the squad which has come down with them, some of them will be on good money by League One standards, which mm-hmm. is going to give them a, a competitive advantage. If, if you take a look at the clubs in League One, half the clubs did not sign any players for transfer fees at all last season. It's even worse in League Two because you're relying on Bosmans, you're relying on loans, you're relying on... On players renewing existing contracts, so very little money is going out in terms of transfer fees. So if you've got a squad which is coming down from uh, the, the championship, even if they stank the place out, which effectively Sunderland did, then you're going to have some advantage mm. over the, the clubs which are, who are there who are, who are effectively every 12 months are having to create half of their squad. Mm. Because they're having to, re- most players are on one to two year contracts in that division.
0: And uh, I think one of the interesting things that I certainly wasn't aware of, uh, had, having not perhaps delved as deeply as I should have done previously in terms of finances in League One and League Two, is that there's a salary cap uh, in these divisions which doesn't exist at Championship level. So again, something else that will contribute to a greater barrier, I suppose, being put up between the two or, or League One and the Championship, certainly. Can you explain those salary caps and how? That's not the case as well at a championship level.
1: Yeah, in in the championship, they decided to go for a profit-based model, and actually, it's a loss-based model. It, it's it's saying that you can o- you can only lose thirty nine million of good losses in League One and League Two. The clubs are small town clubs with relatively small town owners, and their major concern is keeping a lid on the extent of wages. Now. If you take a look at what was happening in terms of administrations of clubs in the early and mid-2000s, they were mainly occurring in League One and League Two because the wage levels were going out getting out of hand. Since the advent of this uh, cap on wages, which is in League One, it's you can only spend 60% of your income on player wages. Uh-huh. So you can still pay the tea lady, you can still pay the marketing manager, and that's not counted. And... You are you, 60% of your wages compared to income. But if the owner puts money into the club, that gets added to the income. So it's if you've got an owner who is ambitious, right. then the club can gain mm. to a certain extent
0: from his or her benevolence. You're saying that if the intention is there from the owner to, to invest money in the club, then that's a way of, of I suppose, um, uh, easing the amount that they can spend on wages because what he puts into the club will be considered as as income so it's not just what the club generates on its own off its own back
1: that that, that's correct so if the owner says i'm going to invest 10 million pounds into the club and it's not going to be in the form of a loan it's going to be in the form of shares so therefore i'm never going to get that money back if you put 10 million pounds in then i can spend an extra six million pounds on wages um, and also, go, going back to the issue we were discussing in terms of championships coming down, in their first season, which they fall into League One, those rules don't apply. So that allows them to spend a little bit more money on wages, which is going to increase the probability of them bouncing
0: back. In, in terms of League Two, uh, a 50% salary cap, a similar, generally similar regulations to League One, is that fair to say? And therefore, you know... Relatively similar clubs and, and similar themes financially. Yes, yes. So it's it's fifty
1: percent in League Two, um, and there, there's not this there's not this glass ceiling between League Two and League One. If if you talk to club owners, they'll say we will get an extra couple of hundred grand coming through in the solidarity payments and the TV payments from Sky. But if, if by getting promoted, we can't do a huge amount of that. Um, and actually we're probably going to be worse off to a certain extent because the first thing that's going to happen, I've got the manager knocking on the door for a pay rise. I've got the players knocking on the door for a pay rise. We've just been promoted. Mm-hmm. We're entitled to a bit extra. So um, League Two to League One is a very manageable movement. Mm-hmm. League One to the Championship is is a huge issue in, in terms of the additional income coming in from the TV monies and also the fact that if you if you do go up from from League One... To the championship, if Leeds United come to town, that's three thousand tickets sold in the away end. You know, if Forest come mm. down, if Villa, there are there is fantastic away support in the championship. Um uh, My experience of the championship, I think it's the best division of all four. Um Having seen my club Brighton get promoted to the Premier League, Premier League was all right last season. Mm. It, was, it was a day out. It was entertaining. It, it, it didn't hold that same appeal. It, it wasn't. Uh, a case of oh we, we we were toilet on Saturday but we've got a match next Tuesday mm. to recover so it, it was an interesting experience yeah but actually I'd rather win the championship every year
0: it's a topic I, I'd like to explore a lot you know larger actually I think it's really interesting the nature of fandom now and, and the, the gap between the two divisions and what you get from being a championship club in terms of the pure experience of fandom uh, compared to the Premier League I think there's there's some quite interesting results that you could get from a survey of fans who have experienced both over the last few few seasons and we might look to do that. Just going back to FFP um, there are certain costs that won't be uh, included in the uh, judgement of, of a club's ffp and whether they're compliant with that um, what are those costs these are these are considered good costs
1: right so if, if you do certain things in the football league which the football league believe are in the best interests of the game as a whole so they would be your infrastructure costs so spend more money so if you take the case to bristol city they've just redeveloped the ground they've spent 20 million on that or whatever it's going to be and those costs are excluded for ffp purposes because what have we done we've improved facilities for fans we've increased capacity we've now got wi-fi we didn't have we've got better toilets we've got better catering facilities well that's to be encouraged so none of those costs are counted for ffp purposes so that's that's number one build up the infrastructure encourage clubs to invest in the ground in the training facilities in in the development of the club as a whole secondly we've got expenditure on academy football so we want to develop the next generation of English footballers coming through our academies who will hopefully go on to have great careers. And from the FA's point of view, you know, we are looking to England as a footballing nation who we can be proud of, which presently just happens to be the case for the first time in a long time. So your your youth costs, your academy costs, they are excluded for FFP purposes. Thirdly, women's football. If you have a women's football club as part of the club as a whole, that's great. It increases diversity. It gives people a a different outlet. It's still quite an expensive thing to run because you need the coaches you're paying the players those costs are excluded for ffp purposes and fourthly community projects
0: um again a couple of quick ones now um questions from twitter uh, starting with a question from myself we've talked about ffp but i haven't quite put you on the spot enough yet so uh, my question is very simple um ffp you often see people say what's the point of it what people can't see the purpose that it serves now maybe they don't fully understand it maybe we've explained it a bit better but just to those people and i see plenty of them who say ffp doesn't serve a purpose clearly it's complete rubbish Um, what do you say to that at efl level in league one and league two i think it's been a
1: fantastic success because you've only got to look at the number of clubs who were relegated in in the first decade of this century and also in sort of 2011 and 2012, who was the last football club that went into administration and when was it? I don't know. It was Coventry City, 2014. Mm. Now we're in 2018. I mean, no administrations for four years. There's some clubs who are pretty damn close to it and they've wobbled, but nobody's actually fallen. Uh, and you know, we, we've seen what's happened when, when clubs have fallen out of the 92. You think about what's happened to Hartlepool. Hartlepool is still going. Yeah, you know, they are they are living from hand to mouth, and in League One and League Two, you are living from hand to mouth. But the restraint in terms of wages that that comes via uh, the, the the wage control is just tipping the balance in favour of the clubs. Um, it's to stop players and agents coming to the club and saying, "I'm on eighteen hundred pounds a week. I want a five hundred pound a week pay rise." And the club will say, We'd like to do it, but we can't do it. And we don't want to. And now, previously, they might have given that pay rise and they knew that they were gambling with the club's future. Now they're not allowed to do it. We have effectively, from the, the Football League, they have in season monitoring of wages. So clubs can't even try to pull a fast one. So that's League One and League Two. In the Championship, it's a funny one because. The clubs in the championship lost around about £350 million in 2016-17, and that's with financial fair play. And so it acts as an element of restraint, a slight anchor. Without financial fair play, I hate to think what those losses would have been. And I do think that with the, the rise of the, the the new owner from overseas who perhaps doesn't understand some of the nuances of the game it does stop them from gambling with the club's future to a greater
0: extent than they have done to date. Absolutely uh, another quick one from me the phrase player amortization uh, it crops up a lot in the blog posts and uh, it's a it's an important part of of really really delving into a club's finances year on year so how does player amortization work because it seems Just the word amortisation, for some reason, seems off-putting. But it's relatively simple.
1: That's right. If if you sign a player for £15 million on a five-year contract, you're getting the benefit of that player for five years. And he's going to contribute towards the club for that five years. So the logic is the cost of his transfer should be spread over that same period of time. So therefore, as far as your FFP activities are concerned... You would say that that's a cost of three million pounds for the player for the five years, plus his wages, mm-hmm. so yeah that, that that's probably going to come close to doubling that sum um, and that's a way of spreading the costs. Right. The complication occurs is that whilst you spread the cost of buying a player, when you sell a player, all of the profit appears in that year's accounts. So this is where we we now have reached... We're we're towards the end of June. Some clubs who have been teetering on the brink of FFP, they might be forced to sell players. Most clubs have a year end of the 30th of June or the 31st of July. They might be trying to accelerate those sales because if I was, for example, Derby County Mm. and I was a bit wobbly in terms of FFP... Um, I'd be trying to sell Vidra because he's their most saleable asset. I think they paid eight, eight, million? eight million for him, but he's he's been there now two years. So his, his accounting value, I think he was on a four year contract, mm-hmm. his accounting value, lost 2 million in year 1 he's lost 2 million in year 2 so his accounting value is 4 million if they sell him to say Leeds for 9 million that's a 5 million profit because you compare the sale price which you show immediately less the value of the player in the accounts and the value right. of the player in the accounts is the cost less the amortization
0: a couple more questions um We've asked your opinion on FFP in general, and this is the sort of thing that we spoke about earlier, but Jordan wants to know if you think that the three-year window works um, or whether perhaps it promotes overspending in years one and two uh, and fire sales in year three. Is, is there an obvious um, solution to that if that's an issue? It, it certainly
1: creates the situation whereby um, owners who are gamblers will take such an approach. So we've seen that to be the case with Villa. We've seen that the ca- to be the case with, with Newcastle. Newcastle were successful. Villa were not. Uh, Derby have gambled. It's not worked for them. Um, spreading things over three years does, however, give clubs um, an opportunity to, to save up. So you might act very cautiously for two years. You've got a half-decent squad of players. And then in the third year you can spend a bit more. So if you look to see what happened when Brighton were promoted, they they built up the squad and then in in the year in which they were promoted, they knew exactly how much they could afford to spend. So they went out into the market and they signed the likes of Shane Duffy from Blackburn, Mm. but they knew that they could do that because they'd been good, good, a little bit naughty. Mm. Now, if you're naughty, naughty, you've got no choice but to have the fire sale. So it, it does... Introduce an element of strategy into the way that you run the football club that's just another layer of the intrigue mm. of, the, of the, that division which I
0: do find absolutely fascinating when we talk about FFP and, and sanctions as well have got to mention QPR um, a championship side who I mean they've had a fine lingering over them for years but no one seems to really know what's going on there can, can, you, can you enlighten us on, on what happened with QPR in
1: in 2014, QPR were promoted back to the Premier League. Now, the previous season they'd been relegated, and they chose to ignore financial fair play. They again they did the gamble, which worked. They spent money on players, but they also they they kept all of their star players from the previous season. So you had the likes of Joey Barton and Bobby Zamora, and they were on extremely good contracts. Mm. Um, QPR had the, the second highest wage bill in the championship of all time. The only time that that has been trumped was by Newcastle United in 2016-17. Because they spent so much money on the wages, they breached financial fair play. They'd simply blown it out of the water because in, that was the days before we had the three-year rule. Right. When they, were, they could not be touched in the Premier League because they were outside of the jurisdiction of the football league so they were to a large extent they were they were just thumbing their nose and then of course they got relegated again so then they came within the remit of the football league and what they've got is that they've got very expensive lawyers and they've got very smart accountants who have prevaricated and they've used delaying tactics and first of all they claimed that financial fair play was illegal And that had to go through court processes. All that's happening is that you've got £1,000 an hour lawyers working for Queen's Park Rangers who are saying, we disagree with this particular section of the FFP rules. Please, can you send us the the forms? So there has been a very, very slow process in which the Football League has said, we're going to stick to our guns. So, So the first thing that happened was that the Football League changed its rules because originally... FFP fines and, and Queens Park Rangers are facing a fine of between 40 and 50 million pounds. Uh, but let's remember that their owners are worth around about 17 billion. So this is money that the owners can afford. Um, originally, that money was due to be uh, distributed between the clubs in the football league. Mm. Football league lawyers took a look at that and said that's probably not looking too clever, guys. So now that money goes to charity. Okay. So. Queens Park Rangers owners potentially have a 40 or 50 million pound donation towards charities in sporting areas mm-hmm. to pay that case went to an arbitration panel the arbitration panel fell in uh, uh, took the view that the Football League was correct and therefore they, they upheld the, the decision made by the Football League Queens Park Rangers have appealed against the arbitration panel's rules. Of course. So now we have more lawyers mm-hmm. sending forms, taking huge amounts of time to reply to requests for information. They are playing the system mm-hmm. with a view to trying to delay this. And we don't know what the next ruling is going to be. But the moral one, and I appreciate lawyers and morals have... Not normally mentioned in the same sentence, but the moral uh, reward should be a, a 40 or £50 million pound donation to charities because of breach of rules.
0: Um, one question which I suppose very much leans on your expertise, but is certainly asking you uh, to hypothesise slightly. Um, and it was asked by, by two people, Robert and Ash, both on, on similar levels here um, looking at the EFL as an entity um, and saying given the large disparity between your Villas and your Wolves at one end and Accrington and Morecambe at the other um, what chance is there that finance will break up the EFL or will drive a breakup of the EFL um, Ash said given the gap in TV money which I believe to be um, 80% for Championship 12% for League 1 8% for League 2 which you Mentioned earlier, um, a championship breakaway is happening in all but name, says Ash, and he's wondering what will happen to the, the League One and League Two clubs if if that's the case. Do you think that that's something on the horizon, something that you you would be concerned about? I, I don't think a
1: formal breakaway will take place, um, but as I think as, as Ash was alluding to, it could become. A a sort of yo-yo scenario We've seen what's happened this season In terms of Wigan, Rotherham and Blackburn I think everybody's expecting Sunderland to go up Um, So what will happen to Barnsley? What's going to happen to the clubs that go down? They're going to be in a pretty strong position in my view uh, In terms of their ability to compete in League One The the, the other clubs in League One and League Two Because of the way the FFP works are broadly starting to break even. So, provided they get the money from the solidarity payments and if, if they were to lose that, I think that would be an absolute tragedy and I think it would be uh, one of the blackest days in the history of English football. Um, but provided they still get that amount of money, then if you are a fan of Dale or Berry or Accrington or, or clubs of that nature, then I think you, your clubs have a future. And, um, and, and the players have a future as well. And you know, I, I know football players from lower leagues and, and yeah, they, they've spoken to me about their, their careers mm-hmm. and it's not the glamour that, that you, you think... Yeah. Um, I, my, my personal trainer is an ex-football league footballer and he'd be saying, you would be getting to April, you're on a one-year contract, you're going in for a 50-50 ball... And at the back of your mind, you're thinking, "I could break my leg here. My wife's just given birth to our first child. I've got a mortgage to pay. If I actually break my leg here, nobody's going to sign me next season." And that's what we don't—that's um, what we don't appreciate, mm. perhaps, as fans. Um, could it happen? It's—it's th- it's a remote possibility. I think the way that leagues one and two have been stitched up to a certain extent by the Championship clubs means that. They're not giving away huge sums of money no. to these lower league clubs. Um, my only concern is that because the the Football League have been stitched up by the Premier League in terms of the way that the, the new distribution of overseas TV money <laughs> appears to be allocated, that the the the, uh, the Football League clubs in the Championship might be looking to protect their own interests. But I'm hoping that won't be the case because... Um, you know, if, if you are if you, have, you are Preston or Brentford or, or Sheffield United you've been in League 1 you've been in League 2 for a long periods recently yourselves you know what it's like and I think the majority of people are decent you know, so if we reach the place in society where all we're interested in doing is making people less well off than us even more less well off that's a reflection of a far broader issue mm. than, than football itself
0: well, the gap between Championship and League One we've established is, is ever-growing and it's not good news necessarily on a sporting level, I suppose. Um, it does mean that when teams uh, punch above their weight, uh, it does continue to delight us and that's what we've seen. Um, luckily, over the last few years, uh, at all three levels as well, with your Huddersfields and your Burtons and your Accringtons. Um, that's, I think, more than enough. Thank you so much, Kieran, for, for your expertise, for willing to exp- being willing to explain everything um, so brilliantly to us and uh, just let us know where we can follow you, where we can read your stuff and, and anything else that you'd like to plug because no doubt there'll be, there'll be plenty of questions off the back of this. So I hope you're ready. Um, well, I,
1: I run the, uh, the priceoffootball.com blog, which uh, when a club produces its accounts, I've got an enormous spreadsheet um, and I update that And all I'm trying to do is to give an explanation to fans who they will hear the headlines, and I also it's it's to question the official version because what we are now seeing from clubs is that they announce a press release and then a week later the the accounts actually come out and I compare the, the press release to the accounts and there's quite a bit of diversion, mm. divergence there so I'm, I'm trying on behalf of fans I've, I've supported a club that's been su- that's suffered winding up orders I've supported a club that's lost its ground I support a club who's got an owner who's a local fan I've had I've been through all four divisions mm. I know what it's like um, I just want to make sure that because if you're a fan of Morecambe if you're a fan of Accrington if you're a fan of Gillingham your club's just as important to you as it is to a Manchester United fan in fact it's more important
0: quite right (laughs) absolutely at Kieran Maguire on Twitter and um, yeah do get in touch with Kieran uh, and and with ourselves as well and we'll try and answer any questions that you might have having listened to this podcast Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it Uh, any feedback as always much appreciated Um, reviews shares all that stuff as you know um, helps us an awful lot so thank you very much for your continued support and we will talk soon uh, with the season ever looming